Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. and welcome along to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Helen Fisher. Her new book is Joe Nothing's Guide to Life. It's her second published novel and it's had a rocky road to publication. You'll hear all about it. We chat through how she is writing all the time, even when she's not writing. Go figure. Also, how it wasn't the plot that drew her into the story. And after a long and hard journey to getting her book published, we hear how she is appreciating it being out there more than ever just don't think about the next novel or what i'm doing next so i put all thoughts of that completely on hold because i know that i will look back and wish that i had made the most of every second of the book about to come out and you know you get one publication day the book comes out it's great excitement and then you know the next day someone else has got a book coming out and so i want to take my moment there is more with helen in this week's writer's routine Welcome along. My name is Dan Simpson and this is Writer's Routine where we take a look through an author's working day. I hope you are dealing well and if you're in the UK, uh, dealing with just the bit bitter, bitter, bitter cold that's lingered over the country and I hope you've not been too affected by flooding and the snow and it's, it's a good time to just hunker down, hibernate inside and read. Preferably right, actually. It's what we're here for. This week's episode of the show is brought to you by the new true crime podcast, Who is the Cheese Wire Killer? And I think this is perfect for you, because if you love crime writing and storytelling, which I hope that you might, you're listening to this after all, it's right up your street. Who is the Cheese Wire Killer is about a 1983 murder. It's now regarded as one of Scotland's most gruesome unsolved murders. And across five episodes, told through a mixture of documentary and drama, the series goes into the very centre of a live investigation. It puts you right in it, and, and the producers, the work they have done, the background that they filled out, the, the, the sources they've connected to, and, and, and their interviews are phenomenal. The senior investigating officer, forensic scientists, psychologists, as well as Family members and friends of the victim, too. It's a classic who's done it case, really, that has baffled the police for over 40 years, and you are invited 
to be part of this as it goes on. This is true crime happening right now because the killer is still on the run. And in 2023, the police announced the biggest step forward in this case for the past 40 years. It's a brilliant twist on crime podcasts. Uh, An amazing way of just slightly tweaking the wheel, which puts you right at the heart of things. So you can try and uncover who is the cheese wire killer. You could find the series now and discover for yourself. Listen to the whole lot wherever you get your shows. Search for who is the cheese wire killer and try and solve one of the most famous crimes ever. Now this week we're chatting to author Helen Fisher. Her book Space Hopper was acclaimed as one of the most unique debuts of 2021. It was recommended by Cosmopolitan, Women's Weekly, Marion Keys, The Daily Express... And after all that, you would imagine that a second would immediately follow up and it'd go gangbusters, right? Well, that didn't exactly happen with Helen. She will detail the journey to this novel. But she ended up spending two years writing around three novels that no one wanted to publish. Then along with some hard times in her own personal life, she almost gave up. Helen says she was at rock bottom when she started writing Joe Nothing's Guide to Life, and, and it changed the way that she approached it. The story, along with the help of her editor, drew her out of a depression, calmed her down, and made her realise that this could still happen. She could carry on being a published writer. It wasn't something that was in her past. Now, the story is all about Joe, who likes order and predictability. But something strange drags him into a surprising adventure, which, when you think about it, kind of mirrors Helen's own life in that when you leave your comfort zone, brilliance and joy waits for you. We chat all about that. Also, how her children were a real inspiration for parts of Joe Nothing. How it wasn't a plot that drew her into the story, but mainly Joe, who is neurodivergent. So we discuss, how did she go about getting that right? About not following standard tropes that many authors fall into. How did she not make it a cliché? We also head back to our favourite road map metaphor for the plot, which we've not heard about or discussed with writers in ages. Uh, But Helen brings it up and takes it and and runs us through exactly how a journey of her plot looks. There is lots going on in this week's chat. Now, uh, cards on the table. The audio can be a little bit fuzzy. Uh, I've done my very best with it, and it really is worth you listening to. There is a lot of gold in them hills. So let's get to it. And we start with Helen Fisher, as we always do, chatting about what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. Okay, well, it's much messier than it normally is. Um, Everything's gone a little bit bonkers um, just recently. And so everything's been thrown at the study. But basically, um, I'm I'm in a study. So it's it's dedicated to me and um, my work. I've got, um, I'm facing my computer uh, screen and outside the window, I can see a tree and the side of the pub outside, which is just great because I live in a, I live in a village, a Suffolk village. And I've got a tall bookcase on one side and various things on the wall. I've got a really overflowing inbox with stuff that shouldn't be in there. Like there's photographs and books and a toothbrush. <laughs> it's really messy. I love it when it's tidy, but it just isn't. I'm trying to be honest. There's um, there's clipboards and notebooks and frames and all sorts of things. And it's part, partly it's messy because the book is coming out tomorrow. And so I've been running around and just dumping things in here ready to, to sort. Behind me is a wardrobe and a chest, which has got like some stuff I never wear. I should empty it. And, um, and a chest of drawers to my left and a filing plate and a printer. 
that's it really messy pencil case bits everywhere um I, I I don't like it like this. I love it when it's tidy. Uh, so that is like a proper office, and it, you have a physical inbox, not just one on your laptop. Yeah. Oh, and I've got a physical diary. I um I much much prefer to to have things written down and in my hand, pen and pencil, and that kind of thing. And my phone is always a bit old and, and a bit out of date, so. Um, I don't like, I just don't like using it. And I wonder, I don't know if it's my age. I'm, I'm 51. So I don't know if I'm, yeah, I've got lots of friends who are, who are my age and like well into their technology, but I still love like a paper diary um, and, and paper everything. So yeah, inbox, outbox, you know, post-it notes and papers and things. I love all does that translate to your planning of a novel? You mentioned post-it notes. Do you have other things around you that uh, like copious notes about your characters and the plot and where you need to go and the thorough the thorough plan of everything? Well, one thing I haven't mentioned because it's kind of in the back of the room in the corner is this flip chart. Now, the, the when I wrote Joe Nothing, my editor asked me not to use it because I was kind of I was kind of losing the plot, like <laughs> metaphorically and actually. Um, and I had used a, a system before. So I've got this flip chart and I do make notes and things on it. Um, it gets used for other things as well. But when I'm writing a book, what I really like to do is I make a grid of 80 squares and I number, put a number in each one. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, all the way up to 80. And then when I write a thousand words, I color it, I color in a square and, um, the reason that I do that for me is that um, if I've written about 80,000 words, the, the first draft will be finished or the end will be in sight. So just crossing off those chunks of thousand words helps me see that I am slowly reaching my destination, although it's not that slow. So, so if I, what I tend to do when I write is I like to write a thousand words a day, Monday to Friday, and I can do, that means I can do 80,000 words in about four months if I know what I'm going to write. And if I stick to 1,000 words, because sometimes I will write 2,000 words, especially at the end, I can sort of write three or 4,000 words. But yeah, I colour them in and it looks really nice. I wish I had an image for you because I've done it for a couple of novels. Um, but yeah, it's um, that, that I love to write like that because I can really see progress on paper. You mentioned that, was it your agent or your editor was keen for you to not do that when you were writing Joe Nothing? Why is that? That's because, um, I don't know if you know about my previous book, Space Hopper. When I um, got the deal for that, it was a two-book deal. And I already had the idea, they'd seen the idea for the second book, and I, I wrote it very quickly. I wrote that in about four months. And um, everybody loved it, and it was going ahead, except the American editor thought it was the wrong time and it wasn't the right follow-up to Space Hopper. So uh, they loved, they particularly loved one character in that book. And then, so we talked about it and I am cutting a very long story short because there were plenty of tears, don't get me wrong. I wrote another book and finished it and I loved it. My heart was in that book and lots of lots of my early readers, my beta readers said, yes, this is the one, we love it. But they didn't want it. And so I wrote another book <laughs> and then another half book and none of them were the right follow-up. 
so I then really gave, I gave I just thought I can't do this anymore I can't go on and I stopped taking the phone calls and I stopped answering emails and that kind of thing but when I eventually agreed to speak to my English editor um, she was very gentle with me um, and <laughs> we had a conversation and we started I started talking about Joe nothing because I I thought of him a couple of years previously when I thought the second book was in the bag and I was thinking about the next one and she didn't know anything about it and she asked me you know she got excited and she said oh no this is the book I want to read Helen this is the one and but she said just try something different don't put any pressure on yourself don't do that don't cross off chunks of time just write and just try and let it come naturally because I didn't use that grid system when I wrote Space Hopper so whilst I really love using that grid system, and I don't think it, I don't think it leads to an unpublishable book by any stretch of the imagination, but she just said, just take the pressure off yourself. Don't set these limits. And um, so, so I didn't do it for Joe Nothing. But I wanted to. <laughs> I wanted to. I, I, have, I do have so many questions to ask about that period of your life, because this, this is a show for, uh, well, published authors, but also many aspiring writers who are, deep in the reeds and trying to, to wade through them to get to the other side. Um, I guess, I guess looking back on it now, because you, you had, you had in effect written two and a half books that weren't going to see the light of day. How do you reflect on that two year period? Now you are being published again and, and kind of seeing it for what it is, maybe putting a, a, a positive spin on it. If you're finding the silver lining, how do you, uh, approach that when you reflect on it now i'm very good at putting a positive spin on things so you know you know joe nothing came out of this and i i'm i really do think that it, I, I personally I, I think it's i think it's special and it's really um it means a lot to me and i wonder would this book ever have come out as it as it has had i not been through that so I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for that time from that point of view, but I would not want to go through it again. And I wouldn't want anybody else to go through it. But, but that's, that's because, you know, looking back from where I am now, I can see that writing wise, it was going to be okay. But when you're in it, you don't know it's going to be okay. So it's very, very hard to aim for that. It might be okay. You know, it's, or, or it probably won't, but I'll just keep going. But honestly, I had, I had made the, (laughs) on the one hand, I feel like saying to people who are writing, don't give up. If you think it's good and you've got friends who you trust and they say, this is good, you know, keep, keep plugging away because I'm a firm believer that the books that don't get published or don't get taken up by an agent, it's not because they're not good. It's either because it's the wrong agent or the the agent's too too busy or it gets brushed over or, you know, it gets missed. There are lots and lots and lots. There are millions of books out there that are really good that are being missed. But it's very hard to... Some people say that they write just for writing's sake. I'm not one of those. If, none of, if nobody's going to read my book, I don't want to write it because... I'm I'm a talker, I'm a storyteller, and I want people to hear it. And if I'm honest, I want people to read it and go, I love it. I love it when people say it wasn't really my cup of tea or I didn't like it because I know that they're being honest and I love I love honesty. And there's not many people that will tell, read your book and say, mm, it wasn't my cup of tea. If I could know that people say, I love it. So I like it when 
when the book comes out and strangers get in contact and say, I loved your book. It meant so much to me. That's brilliant because they don't have to do that. My mom has to say she loves it, doesn't she? <laughs> My best friend. So I would say... If it's tough, if you're having a hard time, but you and you but you want to see it through, you know, keep going. Do keep going, but you know, also get some help if it's dragging you down. Because I, I really needed help during the writing of Joe Nothing was one of the toughest periods of my life, and I have put it, I have written about that in the acknowledgements. So I've tried to be quite honest without giving too many details um, about you know depression and needing help and and all those sorts of things and, and what got me through. Um, so, so yeah, I look back with, I feel sorry for myself when I look back, but I can't feel too sorry for myself because I know what it was like when I was writing and I wasn't published. And I used to think, why are you moaning? You've got book published, you know? <laughs> and um, so I'm very, very grateful, but, you know, it, we're all human and, you know, we all go through difficult times. So, yeah. And then I mean, we'll get into a lot more detail about about the new book and about your writing day in just a sec but when you then had the idea for what became joe nothing's guide to life uh how long did it take you to i i guess feel the passion again you you, you'd come away from quite a torturous couple of years and you didn't ever want to do it again and you had to be almost uh, dragged into a meeting with an editor and then you get this idea and and how 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 quickly did that feeling of oh i'm loving this again oh i can see a future for myself being a writer again how how long did that take to return well that's a really interesting question because i can see why you're asking it but i very very vividly remember what it was like because there's a there's a time limit on the two two year on the sorry on the two book deal, so you have to write your book within a certain amount of time. Of course, my time was up, but I'd I'd written or actually three novels. So when they got the idea for this, they said we, we will give you another year. But when I started writing, I really needed handholding. I wrote the first. So what I would normally do when I'm writing is I roughly know what I'm going to do. I know. How, how it's going to start and I usually know how it's going to end and I work a lot on the middle but I and so I'll, I'll just start and I'll start writing and I don't really look back until much later I just keep going but what happened with Joe Nothing was I wrote the first chapter and then I and it, I was sluggish and I woke up in the night and I panicked and I thought I've written that wrong and I went back to the computer in the middle of the night and, and looked at it and reread it and oh my god and then I, then I moved on to the second chapter and these are short chapters so it's not like I had written a lot and then was struggling to move on I've written a little bit and by the time I got to chapter four, and they are very short chapters, so we're only talking about 4,000 words, I had to get in touch with my editor and I said, I, I can't do this. I can't tell if it's any good because what I've done is I've written, I've written a few other novels and I've thought these are the ones that they'll want and then you haven't wanted them. So I'm writing this thinking, I don't know what's good anymore. I don't know what's, what people want anymore. And so she said, well, send me the first four chapters and I'll have a look. So she read them, came straight back and said, I love it, Helen. Like, you just keep going, keep going. And, you know, it was, it was one of those things. She, she was worried that if she said she loved it, I might then relax a bit and think, oh, it's all great. It's going to be easy. But I didn't. It was, it was the, it was a case of where I thought, well, the first four chapters, all right. But from then on, it's rubbish. And so I got up to chapter 12 and I thought, I, I absolutely, still, it's awful. First four chapters might be okay. The rest is awful. So I passed those on to her as well. And she read them and she said, no, Helen, I'm, I'm really, really happy. I'm really enjoying it. Please keep going. 
And so I sort of took the plunge and I wrote the rest without any input. I did take about six weeks off um, where I just couldn't write anything at all. And when I came back... I looked at the, pre- the last chapter I'd written and it was just awful, but I thought, well, I'll leave it in. It did come out in the end, but I'll just kind of keep going. Now, it was really difficult to write, but because of the way my life felt at the time, I actually felt not passionate, but I felt such sanctuary when I came to the computer to write. And it's not always like that. I usually turn up at the computer and go, right, I don't want to do this. I don't think I can do it today. But and if I don't know what I'm going to write, I just keep start writing. And I write and I think, yeah, this is quite good. This is good. And the moment I step away from the computer, I'm like, oh, God, I think it was right. You know, it's sort of my, my confidence diminishes. But I sort of fell into... Joe Nothing's arms a little bit and the characters and I felt very I felt surrounded by them and taken away by them and I was really loving the way that the story was developing because there was sort of there was there was kindness and there was a little bit of you know you know people's misunderstandings and stuff so I wouldn't say passion I sort of dragged myself through it I found sanctuary in the writing and at the end when they said you know have a read through it Helen make sure you're happy with it and I was like I can't I'm going to send it to you and if you think there's something in there you're just going to have to tell me I I just can't go back you know so I, I sent it off and was you know really surprised when they came back you know very happy and you know, this is this is what we want. It was a relief because to hand him over to see what people, to see what the ed- my agent and the editors would think, because it was a case of there was a time when I thought I won't be able to finish this, I won't be able to write another novel and get it out, and I also had made the decision that if this one wasn't taken, I would stop then and I would get a you know vertical normal job um just for my own sanity really um it was hard to let them go and hand them over and to stop in that i I was aware of how much i enjoyed writing them but i i needed them written and i needed them done and i needed them out once they said yes and i was kind of like oh my goodness i mean a huge sense of relief i really wasn't expecting it because i was very um down on myself at that point and just thought they won't take it um and when i came back to work on it because there there wasn't much work to do but there was a there's a couple of characters in there where that you know there was some confusion about you know not sure how old this character is i'm not sure about the relation of these characters and i i had to flesh them out and it meant I added in about three chapters um, and it was it, actually it was a joy going back to do that I loved it it wasn't it wasn't onerous editing it was like you know there were two characters and said we don't know much about this and when I inserted another chapter I could see that it was that it was right to flesh them out that it that it improved the novel and do you remember I said earlier that when I, I stopped writing and then when I came back um I looked back at the previous chapter and it was absolutely awful. I thought, oh my goodness, where has that chapter come from? And I must admit, so the, both, both of the editors who looked at it and my agent said, what happened here? <laughs> I was like, don't worry, I'll take that out. There was a, there was a huge fight in the novel. Um, and it was, um, it just, it, I knew at the time, I, I, I even knew it, like, 
the story had like lost the plot. I'd lost the plot. The plot was gone. And I, that's when I stopped writing. But when I went back, I thought, I tell you what it felt like, because I can remember explaining to somebody at the time. When I went back to the book to finish the last, say, third or more, slightly more. So when I had this awful chapter, you know, when you're pushing a supermarket trolley, you know, if you want to turn a corner with a trolley that's a bit badly behaved, you can't sort of do, if you do a big arc, you'd have to go all the way around the car park or all the way around the supermarket and you have to sort of lift the back of the trolley up, yank it to one side and plonk it down again to keep going. Do you know what I mean? Right. So that's what the, that's what it was like going back to the writing. I thought this isn't right, but I've got to get out of this supermarket. You know, I had to, I had to do something to get out. So I kind of forced my way out of it. And they say, don't they? You can edit the written words. You can't edit something you haven't done. So I did know that the best I could do at that point was just write it, just get it finished and fix any, any of the boo-boos up later on. Why was it so hard? Why, why was, why was that particular moment? just so awful um there's a there's a bit in the book where i i don't want to give away any spoilers but there's there's a bit in the book where i needed something to happen to joe which was quite unusual for him i don't think it's really giving anything i needed to get joe drunk without him knowing and without anybody doing it maliciously um, because nobody in his circle of friends would, would get him drunk and he would never aim to get drunk. And I needed him to be drunk in order for the next part of the book to happen. And um, I didn't. I just didn't know how to do it. And I think what I did was I created this crazy scene and um, I, I couldn't think my way out of it. So often, I don't know if you write, but I um, sometimes you think, I don't know how to fix this problem. And you'll be driving or you'll be walking or you'll be doing something and you'll suddenly go, oh, that's it. That's the solution. That's how I make something happen. You need something that doesn't seem clunky or... Um, or engineered or unnatural. You don't want something where the reader goes, well, that wouldn't happen because that's just not these characters. Um, but my brain wasn't working properly. So I, what I did was I just did anything to make it happen and then moved on to the next stage. So that's why it was so difficult. I just couldn't think my way around this solution. So what happened was when I came back to the book, you know, I knew it didn't work. They knew it didn't work. And they were like, Helen, this chapter, this doesn't work. So, but by that point, because I'd had the novel, because they said, yes, we want this novel. We just need you to do a little bit of work on it. I was in a different place then, much more relaxed. And, that it, you know, the ideas started to come. So the novel is, well, it's out by the time this episode comes out. Um, with everything that's you, you've been through in the in the lead up to writing it between Space Hopper and this novel, this is it's the unexpected second book to a degree. How are you approaching? It's the seventh book, isn't it? Really, it's just nobody's going <laughs> 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 to read No one's read the ones in between. Um, how are you approaching like this moment, this publication? How are you? How are you viewing it? Is this 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 utter surprise that's taken you so long and taken you so much hard work and introspective thought to, to get to? How are you thinking about this point? I'm really trying to enjoy it, which sounds like it would be the obvious thing to do. And people say, we well, must be so excited. You must be really looking forward to it. Um, 
and I and I am. I, I wasn't, and I'll tell you why, but I am. So Space Hopper, when that came out, it was, oh, was it February 2021? We, we were in lockdown. So the public, the launch party and that was online. You know, it was beautifully done by... Um, our bookshop in Tring, they interviewed me and there's a YouTube video of, of that. And, you know, my friends attended remotely, you know, that sort of thing. Um, someone in my bubble was downstairs with a glass of champagne listening and joining afterwards. But it, it wasn't, it wasn't like publishing in, in the normal real world. And so this is lovely because it's in the real world. It, there will be a, a party at Waterstones and I'm hugely, hugely looking forward to it. Um, about a month ago, I was worrying and worrying about writing the next book because, of course, the industry is so slow. You know, I finished writing Joe Nothing. The first time I sent it out to the editors to see if they wanted it was two years ago, almost exactly two years ago. So, yes, it's a surprise, but there's such a long lead up to when you're going to publish it that it's... Um, by the time you get there, you're used to it and you're, um, you know, I, I'm celebrating something that I did a little while ago. But but it's very, very, what's exciting is when people are reading it and it's speaking to them and it's having, you know, an effect on them and, and they're enjoying it, I, you know, it's just wonderful. So what I decided to do about two or three weeks ago was just not think, just don't think about the next novel or what I'm doing next. So I put all thoughts of that completely on hold until probably January because I know that I will look back and wish that I had made the most of every second of the book about to come out and you know you get one publication day the book comes out it's great excitement and then you know the next day someone else has got a book coming out and so I want to take my moment and and really make the most of it so I'm looking forward I'm looking forward to it now Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
one of Scotland's most notorious unsolved murders. To think that someone could turn a cheese wire into a garrote and take someone's life. The level of violence, the uncertainty and the randomness frightened people. She always thought the killer was going to come back after her. Society needs to find that killer. Who is the cheese wire killer? Listen to the full series now wherever you get your podcasts. And who is the Cheese Wire Killer is sponsoring the show this week. You can listen to the full lot right now. Be part of this live investigation wherever you get your shows from. And if you'd like to support the show, if you'd like to sponsor us, you can make that happen by getting involved on our Patreon community, patreon.com forward slash writers routine. By pledging there, uh, you are backing the show to help me carry on bringing you these chats as often as we can with the best authors around. Authors of all different types of genre, historical fiction writers, crime writers, romance, women's fiction, uplit, everything we cover. And I bring you the secrets of their lives. Now, for backing us at Patreon, you can get merch, there is bonus content, and as I say, there is a way for your book to sponsor this show. I'd love for you to get involved. If you have learned anything along the way, coming up to 300 episodes now, anything that is just, maybe just tweets the way that you tell your stories, well, you can get involved and you can help us carry on and hopefully we'll get more tips down the line too to become a backer uh, just a little bit every month really helps us out patreon.com forward slash writers routine let's get back to it then with helen fisher chatting about her second novel joe nothing's guide to life in this part we talk about the book and how it sprung up from a dark place for her also uh, joe is neurodivergent so how did she go about getting that right not making it a cliche not falling into tropes that many authors in 2024 might drop into we get back to our favorite roadmap plot metaphor too and we pick things up chatting about well the point of the show we've left it a little while her actual writing routine let me just give you a little bit of background because it does matter okay so um my children i've got two children they're age 13 and 15 they're with me most of the time but we've got a very we've got a two-week timetable with their dad so they're not with me every single morning so but they usually are so what i'm going to tell you is my ideal day on a day when I've got my kids, so I have to do the school run. Okay, so I set my alarm for 6.50. I get up, I get my kids up, we do the usual, you know, breakfast, getting ready for school, where's the PE kit, all that usual stuff. Get in the car and we have to drive about 20 minutes to to get to school. I drive to school, I come back, and this has changed slightly because I've got an Achilles problem at the moment. But then what I would normally do, so when I, so when I was writing Joe Nothing, I dropped them to school, drive back, and then I would do a walk. And it was it's about a 50-minute walk. And I'd do that walk, get in my car, drive around the corner, skip back to my house, and then I'd make a cup of coffee and go up to my study, switch the computer on, and then and that would be me starting my work day. But when I come to the computer, see, I thought it was just me messing about, but I think this is part of my necessary routine. I would sort of faff about on the internet a little bit, you know, so I'd sort of think, oh, I need to buy this and I need to get that. I'd remember somebody I'd seen on TV and was wondering what they'd been in before. And I'd, I'd Google that and have a little look. And then I and then after about 15 minutes, shout at myself going, what are you doing? You're supposed to be writing. So then I would get down to it, make one more cup of coffee. Now, when that second cup of coffee and me are back at my desk, 
then the writing, by that point, I'm writing and I don't stop until I've written about a thousand words. Now, if I know what I'm going to write, actually doesn't take that long. So... I would maybe finish doing the writing at maybe sort of half 11, something like that. Then I'd do a few jobs, anything that needs to be done, sort of chores or domestic stuff, a bit of lunch, all with the intention of going back to my desk to write. But I hardly ever wrote again on a day like that. I might go back and do um, emails or correspondence or um, social media stuff that needed doing or, or any of that kind of thing. But really the writing, if, if I'd done a thousand words at least, I'd be okay with myself and I'd leave it at that. The, the writing would be going on in my head because what I needed to do, what I was actually using that time for and what I've really come to realize is Anything that I did in the afternoon, after lunch, when I realized I'm actually not going to do any more writing today, am I? Is I'd be thinking about what I'm going to write the next day so that when I come to the computer the next day to write, I know exactly how I'm going to start and what needs to happen in that chapter. And I realized that it's sort of that's the vital, that's a vitally important part. And it's a bit of a cliche, I think. You know, it sounds like a cliche when writers say, I'm working all the time because I'm thinking about it in my head. If I didn't have that thinking time, when I came to the computer the next morning, I wouldn't be able to sit and write it. I'd be looking at the screen going, oh, I'm not quite sure what should happen next. But I love that, you know, coming to the computer is hard enough. I show up at my computer and I say I'm here and I'm going to do it, no matter whether I feel confident or not about what's going to come out. But if I if I can give myself that, knowing what I'm going to write, so that's that's what I do. I mean, um, so the, and the rest of the day is just the usual, you know, picking the kids up from school, um, football training, um, lifts to various places, cooking dinner, shopping, all that sort of thing. So writing is my job, but when I look at how many hours I actually spend doing it, it's it's not that many. Um, but but in my head, it's happening all the time. Well, I think. Uh, many people do what you do, but maybe don't quite formalize that. So uh, when you have to pick the kids up from school, right, then you are busy doing all of that stuff. So maybe you, you don't have like the mental capacity and because you've got this kind of two week set up thing with um, their dad that you, you want to make the most of this time. So you can't really uh, afford to spare that by sitting down and just aimlessly thinking. So I, I, I do think that, giving yourself that moment does make perfect sense, Helen. Yeah. I will say as well, when I wrote Space Hopper, I was, um, I had another job and um, lots of things happened whilst I was writing Space Hopper, but I, I wrote, I did write that in about four months, um, but it was very different because I was working. So I'd have, um, I always had a notepad with me. I wrote a lot of it by hand and I found a timetable. I found a notepad the other, well, it was a few months ago, actually. And I've got this timetable in. My mum had a stroke around the same time while I was writing it. And I've got this timetable where I've sort of on paper made it like a grid. I love my grids. Um, and I can see in there are little half hour slots where I put write, 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 write. And they were, they were tiny little snippets, places that, you know, so writing space opera was very different because I 
wasn't a writer then. I, I wanted to be a writer, but I was doing a different job and and squeezing squeezing it in. And that thousand words, I will say the thousand words a day that I started doing, it goes out of the window when I know exactly what's going to happen in the next few chapters because then I can write two or three. And I, and I will sometimes go back to the computer. So there are anomalies in that, in that routine, especially at the end where I'm like, Oh my God, let this book be finished. You know, why won't it finish? <laughs> I'm sort of writing and writing and there'll be several thousand on one. I have had sort of seven, I've filled in seven squares on days before, but they're unusual. I've given you my standard writing day. We get quite uh, nerdy. Uh, and we're interested in like software and uh, like fonts that you're writing with. I know, I know you mentioned right at the start that you, you, you know, you're not obsessed with technology, but like, what do you write with? What font do you use? Do you care much at all about that? Um, oh God, I'm, I'm struggling to think what font I use actually. Um, I think it's something very normal, like a Times New Roman or something like that. But I've got quite a big screen and I, when I'm writing, when I'm typing, I type, so I've got a PC, I write double spaced and I have it really big on the screen. So it's like just having a big, big page. Um, and that's what I'm most comfortable with. I have had a laptop before, but I much prefer um, a keypad where, you know, I can feel the keys going down, um, where there's a little bit of, you know, obviously slight, but a little bit of resistance. I don't want a pad where I'm tapping. I don't do anything on my phone except um, if I'm stuck in a traffic jam or if I'm out and about, I might send myself a voice note of uh, an idea or something. I've also got... um, I text myself. Um, I've got a friend called Sue and I once accidentally put her phone number in my phone as my telephone number. Does that make sense? So I put, I put in my number. And so, <laughs> um, I have lots of texts from, uh, Sue King, but Sue King is me. <laughs> and Sue King is me texting myself little ideas and, um, uh, and things like that. I'm trying to think if, there's, if my technology goes any further. I don't think it does. I'm I'm really, um, you know, very old fashioned in terms of. I'm not very good with getting stuff out of the loft. I don't deal well with spiders. Somebody else has got it's my kids, but my I can't get the, a spider out of the bath. If something goes wrong with technology. Um, I just throw my hands up and go, I really don't know what to do, but there's always pen and paper. So, um, so yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I love, I love nerds and geeks and I consider myself well and truly one of them, except for the technology side of things. Uh, you, with the thousand words that you hope to get done every day, this might be interesting in the context of Joe nothing, but how concerned about the quality of them are you? Are you just like getting stuff out, knowing that you can edit later? Are you trying to get it the perfect word first time? Yeah, massively concerned with getting the writing right. So um, I I like the idea of kind of just being able to get... So say I've got an idea for what's happening in the next chapter and what I need to happen. I quite like the idea of just being able to write it and then go back and clean it up. But actually, I will get stuck on a word and think, what is the right word for that? And the most used 
um, the thing I use the most on my computer whilst I'm typing is an online thesaurus. Another, uh, I, or, you know, I was typing it another word for another word for another word for this for that, you know, because I, I just or, or there'd be Google searches like something along the lines of, what do you call it when you feel like you're, you know, and and really and thank God that there are people on the internet going, oh, this is it, you know, it's sort of, um, you know, but I will I will get stuck on a word or a phrase, about two or three or a handful of times in a book. I will have left a space with, you know, a, a, a thick red line or a thick colored line so that I know that there's a word I want that I just never could find which one it was. And I'll work later on what that word was supposed to be. But I, I do try to get my writing correct. So in, in the way that I'm not correct, well, I don't mean correct. I mean, something that I feel is the way that I want it to be. So if you're reading a line of what I've written, there won't be anything that I haven't really given some thought to. So if it's not liked or it doesn't sound right, it's probably not because I haven't taken any care over it. It's just because it it doesn't feel right to the reader, but it will have felt right to me. Um, the reader and the reader is king but what i'm saying is everything i do i do on purpose when i'm writing so i would have the deal made with the space hopper and i already had an idea for the next book which i i loved and every book that i've written every novel that i've written and let's not let's not forget these novels might come out one day because you know there are there might be some they're not terrible they just weren't right at the time kind of thing and they were all born in a different way. Um, and I remember all of their their conceptions, if you like. And Joe Nothing was completely different. The way that he came to me, the only way I can describe it that I think will make sense is I picture almost like, um, like a little sandstorm, like a whirling dust devil in the middle of my head, like whizzing round golden actually and then clearing to reveal this sort of young man standing there kind of blinking and looking around as if what am I doing here kind of thing right in the center of my head and I didn't write anything down for a little while about him he just lived in my head and I would picture him and I I could see where he worked which isn't the same as what he where he ended up working in the book originally I pictured him in this huge factory um, so big that people got around on bicycles and on scooters and stuff. That doesn't happen in the book because he ends up working in a superstore. Um, and I had pictured that there was somebody at work that he that really didn't like him for no apparent reason, and that he wanted to find out why, and that he had all these quirks at home because I knew he was neurodivergent. I never wanted to specify in what way, and. I guess after a few months of him living up there, I got my flip chart out and I I wrote Joe Nothing in the middle. He was always, I mean, his name's actually Joe Nathan, 
but I put Joe Nothing in the middle of the book, in the middle of the flip chart uh, with all the lines coming out. And I wrote all his quirks that he loved to watch four episodes of Friends a day, that he, what it was like when he had his dinner or had his lunch, um, who he would know and who his friends might be and his relationship with his mum and what his hobbies were. And they, they all kind of came out. And all of those things very much feel as though they are quirks and habits and things that very much come out of myself and my children. Conversations that I've had with my children are things that he says in the book, which I find fascinating because we're all neurotypical. Joe is clearly neurodivergent, but a lot of what he is comes out of me, my children and people I know. All the golden nuggets, all the bits that I love about all the people in my life, they are concentrated in Joe. And that's where it came from. It's really interesting that it wasn't necessarily a plot that uh, really uh, pulled you back in, that it was just th- th- this, this, this character and them trying to almost, and find out why someone for some apparent reason disliked them. What happened next then? Because there does need to be a plot that, that stems from that idea, something that's going to uh, move this through 80-odd thousand words. Uh, what was the next thing you did before you started like properly writing? It's so interesting to hear you talk about about that because I never really realised when I started the book that it was very much a character-driven book as opposed to a plot-driven book. And yet... And I suppose some people would say, you know, the the plot, the twists, they are twists of life. They are not, they're not like, you know, bangs and and crazy stuff happening. It's sort of, it's the way, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but but I I will, I will say this. So I'm supposed to be doing, um, I'm doing a book launch party and I'm going to do a reading from the book. And I said to the manager at Waterstones, I'm not sure which part of the book to read from. And she said, all my favorite parts of the book, in fact, any part of the book that you read that is beyond the first chapter, everything gives a spoiler away. So there is stuff happening throughout the book that if you reveal it, you know, it tells you too much about what, what's happening. So there is there is a plot there, but there is no doubt that it is about... Um, it's all focused around Joe. So let me think. You asked at what point did I realise I need some plots happening here? Yeah, and what did you what did you do next? Like, how did you create the plot? Because you've spoken in the last a little while about thinking through the plot every day. Okay, what needs to happen tomorrow? So how did that grow from it? Um, it really the plot was really focused around this desire that Joe has to be a man of no mean bones, which is the title of the first chapter, the way that his mum sees him, the way that his mum, she says, you know, you are a man of, you're a man of no mean bones. And that is Joe wants people to like him. And so it doesn't, it, the, that being a starting point of there being someone who doesn't like him and Joe doing everything that he can to make this person like him against the odds, um, it, it became became the plot because I needed Joe to move through his life um, facing various challenges that that crept into his life that were nothing to do with this other person, and but just to have this thread all the way through where he is working to make someone who doesn't like him like him. 
And by doing that, it was inevitable that we were going to have the reader needs to know more about this other character. And I suppose, I don't know, I, it's, I've not thought about this. And I think that's why I'm struggling to, to answer the question. I think it just evolved one chapter at a time. You know that, you must have heard that saying, and I can't remember who said it. I can't, I can't remember their name, but they said writing a novel is like driving a car at night with the headlights on. You you only need to see as far as the headlights are going and you will make it all the way there. You don't need to see your destination in order to get there. You just need to see. And actually, I think I said earlier when I write a book, I kind of know what's happening at the beginning and I kind of know how it's going to end. And then I work really hard in the middle because I don't really know what's happening there yet. But in actual fact, I quite often don't know very, it's not clear at all how it's going to end. But what I do know is how it will start and some things that I want to happen. But I think that thinking time that I use in the afternoon and overnight is a bit like, here I am, what do my headlights show me next? And it moves like that. And I have the, the plot points that I need to get to, the bits that I know that are important and roughly where they need to be. And I do just move through like that, just one. And I think if people are trying to write, maybe that's quite helpful because you do only need to see the next bit. Just know roughly where you're going because obviously if you're driving your car at night with the headlights on, you do know where you're going. Uh, you know, ultimately, you roughly know where you're going. But yeah, that's that's how it, the plot came about. You know, what happens next? What happens next? Well, at what at what point did your final destination become clear? Then you're driving at night with the headlights on. At, uh, when do you realise? Oh, I'm going to so and so's house. Like, wh- wh- how did the ending come to you? I think um, it's been the same with almost everything I've written. It's about it's it's quite specific. It's about three quarters of the way through. And um, even with Space Hopper that had quite a shocking ending that I think really works and is a, is a big twist, I didn't know about that until about three quarters of the way through. And with, with Joe Nothing, I was a little bit concerned because I thought I like books that tie up nicely. I like books with good endings. I like books that twist. I, I'm, I know that some people say, well, you should be left thinking at the end, you know, what, what happened here? What was that? I don't like that. When I read a book, I want, I want the author to tell me this is what happened in the end kind of thing. And I always knew that Joe Nothing couldn't have um, a massive twist at the end because it's not, it's not a book like that. But I didn't quite know where it was going to go. <coughs> so about three quarters of the way through, I think the again the the idea of where they would all end up started to swirl around a little bit, and I could make my way there. Um, yeah, that's so three quarters of the way through. I don't know why it happens then, but that's when it happened. And last question: You spoke about how Joe is uh, neurodivergent, partially inspired by you and your children, and you're all neurotypical. Uh, how did you go about making uh, him as a character? as someone who's neurodivergent, accurate and not uh, like cliched and just uh, lift, uh, following through with tropes that we might assume? Okay. The, there's, there's two parts to that answer. The big one and the most important one for me in terms of writing him was 
um, when I first spoke about him to my editor and she said, you know, what, you know, what are Joe's, what's his diagnosis? And I said, I don't know. And I'm probably never going to say, I don't want to pigeonhole him. I just want to present a character who has certain behaviors and quirks and ways of thinking and ways of doing things. But, and I've said, I'll write him and we'll just see we'll just see what his diagnosis is later. I didn't want to make him something and write that. I just wanted him to be whoever he was. And I was very, very, it sounds quite wishy-washy, but I felt very clear about that, actually. I just wanted to write him whatever he was, however he came out. However, (coughs) um, I spoke to, um, I went to see a friend who has a teenage son who um, has autism and just had a chat with her about some just some things to do with her son you know because I knew I knew some of the strategies that she employed to help him with everyday stuff um, and I she told me some of the ways that he thinks about things and feels about certain things and there are definitely certain parts of the book where I used that um, to sort of I don't know, help give some concrete um, uh, experience, I suppose. It wasn't really research. It really was. It was a chat one afternoon in a garden. And I asked her to tell me a little bit. She knew what I was doing. She knew I was writing. Um, And I said, what would it be like for your son if he found himself in this situation, for example? And she said, and in fact, I remember saying to her, you know, what do you what do you do when you feel worried that you know if if your son's got a question for you and you're not around to answer it what would you what sort of she told me some of the things that she um yeah she told me some of her strategies for that and so on the one hand i just wanted joe just to appear and just have have these quirks and, and feelings and let everybody make their mind up about him or let you know reveal himself to people as as however they saw him but on the other hand you know if somebody said if somebody forced my hand and said what what's joe's diagnosis i would say autism but i but but you see if somebody reading that might say well this isn't typical of some he does have ocd that's made quite clear but anything else is just is and that was very much done on purpose and that's it for this week's episode of the show with helen fisher the new book joe nothing's guide to life is out right now we will be back next week with a brand new author on the show in the meantime you can support us patreon.com forward slash writers routine you can drop us a follow on x we are there at writers pod and let us know what you think any comments any authors that you want to hear from use the comment page uh, the contact page rather over at writersroutine.com. and this week's episode is sponsored by who is the cheese wire killer brand new true crime podcast which puts you right at the heart of a live investigation have a listen to the whole series right now wherever you get your shows and i will be back with you next week with a brand new author on the podcast until then have a good week selling a little or a lot 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.